Leonard Rosen, the pit bull, as he's commonly known. Leonard has been in the private lending space for decades, and we walked through the transition from hard money to present day private lending. And we chatted about where our space goes from here. What does the next chapter look like? And how is it different from today? Leonard is a dear friend of mine, and I see him as the ultimate networker who knows everyone who has ever had a hand in private lending. And of course, no Leonard Rosen interaction would be complete without a controversial take. He hits hard, I promise. I had a blast recording this episode with him. Thanks for listening. You're listening to the Real Estate of Things podcast. Welcome to the Real Estate of Things podcast. I'm your host, Dalton Elliott, Mr. Leonard Rosen. Thank you so much for joining. It's my pleasure, Dalton. I've been looking forward to this all day. It was either this or a root canal, and I chose this. <laughs> you chose the more difficult, painful option, so you're a masochist. <laughs> I love it. I've uh, I've known you... I've been in this space close to seven years. I've probably known you probably six of those years and, and have gotten to know you to know you even better and better in the recent past. Quite the pedigree you have, right? You're the executive director of the National Private Lenders Association, and you're the CEO of the Pitbull Conference, really the market maker for private lending. This conference, really an ecosystem unto itself, is a couple of decades old, right? And you have to start... 20 years in March, my friend. 20 years, March 2022. Gosh, that is a real testament to what you've built out. Uh, and it's, it's, it's everyone I go to, I feel like more and more people there. So it just keeps growing, which is a beautiful thing. You have to start by telling me and the listeners the origin of the Pitbull nickname. You're, you're Leonard Rosen, the Pitbull. Where did that come from? That's, a, that's an interesting question, and there's actually two questions. One is, how did the name originate? And number two is, how is it that every, every photo that we take, I have my finger pointing? Okay, so I'll answer the Pitbull one first. In 1985, I was the 6 o'clock news anchor for the Financial News Network. And we covered, it was a one-hour program, and we covered everything from uh, real estate to equities markets and so forth. But my very first, God, I remember it as if it was yesterday. My very first airing was at the Financial News Network studios in Santa Monica. And I was all nervous. I was a young 30-something-year-old kid. And, you know, I get off the plane because I lived in Hawaii at the time. I get off the plane, there's billboards. At LAX, London Rose and the New Star Financial News Network. As well. and it went to my head. So I, so I got there like on a Sunday night, and uh, I had all day Monday to prepare. And back in those days, you know, this was a this was a live program. And back in those days, I didn't have an assistant. Uh, I would put things on the teleprompter, which would give me an idea of how to go through this one hour segment. And in a one hour segment is 22 minutes of content content per 30 minutes. So it was eight minutes of commercial. So I had to, you know, I had to come up with 44 minutes of content, uh, content. Anyway, so I spent the whole day writing this out. So the teleprompter and so forth and so on. It was the first time doing it. And I'm getting all ready and I'm fixing my tie and, 
get it all ready. And uh, the director said, okay, you all set, uh, Leonard? I go, yeah, I'm, I'm ready to go, baby. And he starts to count me down. And he goes, 10, 9. And then all of a sudden, it stops. And he says, teleprompter is out. You're going to have to go on your own. Three, two, one. Hello, everybody. I'm Leonard Rosen. Welcome to another edition of Financial News Network with Leonard Rosen. And I got through it somehow by the grace of God. And at the break, he walked up to me and everybody's like scratching their head. And they go, I have no idea how you pulled that off. Only a guy with a pit bull mentality could have pulled that off. And from that point on at the Financial News Network, I was referring, oh, Pitbull's here. And that's kind of how it started. So when Financial News Network was bought out by CNBC, I was offered to go to New York and work with Dan Dorfman and uh, at that point, Neil Cavuto, although he's on Fox right now, and a few other guys. I don't want to live in New York. Wasn't my wasn't my thing. And, and so that's kind of how it happened. The second part to the question is, how is it that every picture has got, you know, that I take has got a finger pointing? 18 years ago, we sponsored Chris Lieben in the UFC. And Chris Lieben's look was, was that look. And I consider that stolen. And matter of fact, Chris lives in San Diego. And uh, every time I see him, we <laughs> and that's how that happened. So it's kind of a funny story, but that's how it happened. So when I started Pitbull Conference, you know, I was kind of like, well, how can I, you know, how can I be very different and very recognizable? And I came up with the name and through the years, I thought, well, should I change it? I've had people say change it from Pitbull to, you know, PMC or BB or whatever, something. And you know what? I'm sticking it through to the end, you know, and I just kept it. I love it. Wouldn't expect any different from you. I love it. One of my one of my favorite work photos that has been taken of me is you and I on stage in Miami when at my day job, Lemoyne One Capital, we won the Private Lender of the Year award from Pitbull, and we had to we had to get had to get the old finger point photo. So I, I saw that one. Couple of days ago, as I was, I was scrolling through LinkedIn, just being uh, reminiscent of days past. I love it. So, so you have been ingrained in this space, the the private lending space, as deeply as anyone could possibly be in the last twenty years. So, really, take me back twenty years for perspective. I was I was eight years old iTunes had just launched and Enron had just filed for bankruptcy protection. So it, it doesn't sound like a crazy amount of time, but when you think about 20 years ago, it, it was a different world in the lending space, right? Well, it wasn't private lending. It was hard money lending. It was, you know, little pockets of what I called Harvin and Marv. Harvin and Marv would have a, a shop on top of like a pharmacy or a delicatessen and the two guys that were hard, they truly were hard money lenders. People have, I did a, I did an interview for the Wall Street Journal about 10 years ago. And they asked, you know, why is it called hard money lending? Is it because it's hard to get or it's hard money? Who knows? I mean, it's the second oldest profession in the world is, is lending. And you can use your imagination on the first. Back then, it was clearly hard money lending. 
And that's what it was. And and there was no association. There was no conferences. There was there was no glue that put anything together. I said, you know, I was kind of semi-retired. You know, I was 50 years old. I didn't need the money, but I needed something to do. So I said, all right, let's, you know, let's go with this. So I realized that there was a void in the marketplace. There, there was a void in the marketplace in terms of creating a marketplace for, at that time, hard money lenders. And we started off with uh, interesting beginnings. Two guys at a coffee shop in Pacific Beach, California, about a mile from where I live. I live in La Jolla. Pacific Beach is about a mile from here. And they paid me $395 each to sit in a coffee shop for six hours to teach them what hard money lending is and how it can be useful to them. That's how it started. I probably paid the the server a hundred out of that three ninety five just so we could sit there all day. But that's how it started. Back then it was the Wild West. It was nothing like it is today, for sure. And then we had our first event. We did one in Los Angeles. I think we had 28 people and one sponsor then we jumped to two sponsors and and uh like 40 people and you know it just kind of grew from them but but at that time make no mistake it still was hard money lending then the market shifted and HELOCs were the big thing uh home equity lines of credit and was still hard money lending and and so that started the change from the commercial aspect of 10 or 12 points up front 18 19% interest rate to something that was like four or five points origination 12% on a HELOC 12 14% that's that was the product du jour at that time. And a company called Quality Home Loans came to me and said, we know you're doing these small events. You know, we're very big in the HELOC business and we want you to travel up and down California and do the events for us, which I did. And uh, I remember doing the, I said, now you're going to handle all the marketing and so forth. Yeah, well, we're going to pack the house, pack the house. And I remember doing an event up in San Jose, and I was at the Hilton. There's supposed to be a couple hundred people. I think 12 or 13 people showed up. And that night, I had chili and sea bass, which I love, but got sick as a dog. And, I mean, I was really sick. And I woke up the next morning and said, how am I going to do this? And I literally did like two hours in the morning. I went into the bathroom. I, you know, I got sick, 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 and I finished it. Uh, I don't know how I did it. I finished it. Uh, that's a little side story. Anyways, then came 2007, 2008, real estate crisis, crash, and so forth. And what happened, the, the interesting part was it was really good that that happened from my perspective and from the industry's perspective, because what we had in the business at that time, we're going back to 2006, seven, eight. I mean, these were basically used car salesmen that were selling HELOCs and whatever they could sell. 
you know, they, they they had no commitment to the industry, no commitment to growing the space. No, I mean, it was a job. How much money can I make and get out? And so what happens when the real estate crisis happened, it really cleansed the entire industry, which was a good thing. And then we started to see a paper guys who got clobbered through the whole real estate market and so forth. Do you remember those loans? Did, well, you're probably too young at that point, like 12, 13 years old. 125% loan. So if you wanted to borrow 100000 they would loan you 125000 Well, Well, obviously that's not sustainable. Obviously, right? And that proved, you know, so so what happens is is that the market went way left and then it goes way right and that kind of settles in the middle. And about 2008, 2009, the A-paper guys started to real, realize that this space was a good space to be in. So we had our first our first wave of really legitimate people coming in coming into into the industry into the community and so that was that was really interesting because i i I mean i could see it different kinds of people you know guys with suits and ties uh, that look like they walk out of bank of america would come in versus the guys wearing the chicago bulls jersey you know the no seriously the 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 makeup of the audience changed and the dialogue changed. Then we had a very interesting, very, very interesting, and I think profound situation that happened it was probably 2009. We did an event in Atlantic City at Caesar's Palace, and back then we were selling just to sell seats, two for one seats, three hundred ninety-five dollars. Two people can attend. It's $175 each. I think we had like maybe 100 people back in 2009 and maybe three or four sponsors. But back in the cheap seats was John Beecham from Turek Capital Partners, Eric Abramovich from Rock, and John Hornick. And they were sitting in the back in the cheap seats trying to figure out what this is all about. And now... You know, things have dramatically changed, and Turak and Rock, and then Lima came a little bit after that. They were the institutional guys. Wall Street looked at the space and said, we like the asset class. That was a game changer for our entire industry. And when the book is written about our space 20 years from now, looking back at this era, I would say with with a high degree of confidence that that particular event with Turek there, with Rock there, that is what changed the entire industry. Because there was nothing else. There was no other association. There was no other conference. I mean, yes, they had, you know, California Mortgage Association, you know, things like that, New England you know, Florida, you know, but I'm talking about for private lending, you know, that was the game changer. And then from that point, it just progressed and matured into what it is now, which is a thriving industry that provides capital to communities in need, capital to investors to stimulate the economy, 
and a group of people that are in it for the right reasons. Now, we all, want, of course, we all want to make a living, and you know that goes without saying. But I'm talking about people of integrity, the Jeff Tennysons of the world, the Eric Abramoviches of the world. I mean, I can go on and on and on. And so the past 10, 12 years has been really interesting from my perspective to look at what has transpired. And I think in the next five to 10 years, it's, you know, there'll be bumps in the road like there isn't anything. But I think this space is here to stay. What do you think? I like the book comment you made. So, you know, if we're in chapter 10 today, what does chapter 11 look like? Do you think do you think our industry is going to be noticeably different five, 10 years from now? Or do you think it's it's going to be kind of just just stabilized growth? Or is there going to be anything drastically different? I think there's going to be consolidation. I think I think what's going to happen, and we're already starting to see it, is more large investors are going to come in and they're going to be buying the smaller, I don't say smaller, but the, the companies that are primed to be to be taken over. I think that's what's going to happen. It's going to become much more institutionalized than it is now and it's never been this institutionalized ever so i think that's going to happen i think we're going to see you know like for example kkr is you know behind turac for example i think kkr will probably have a bigger hand in things and hedge funds and large invest investment companies are going to come in and they're going to gobble up the the smaller guys. I think that's what's going to happen. At least that's what I see. What do you think? I agree. Yeah, and like you said, we're we're kind of at the in the early stages of seeing that happening. You had the kind of B2R and Jordan Capital a few years ago on the FOA and then you know, you go down the list, yeah, really within the last 12, 18 months of large groups in this space, you probably the smallest one was doing I don't know, $500, $600 million on up to, you know, at Lima one, a billion and a half dollar a year originator. We were, which is crazy. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. When I, when I got here, I I started here at Lima one capital six weeks after graduating college, we were doing uh, maybe a couple million a month, right? It was, it was not anything. I'm employee number 14. So we had, you know, 14 people in the office. And today we have 250 people. And, you know, if we did a few million dollars in a month of production, every head would roll. That would be it. That's just not, you know, we're in the well above that, you know, you're punching in the 150, 170, 180 on up. So it's the growth just within the time frame I've been a part of it is absolutely insane. And, and listening to you over the years and today describe how this industry has changed to the point where it's really the old face of the industry is unrecognizable today. You, so I'm with you on that point. Let's talk a little bit about the NPLA, right? The National Private Lenders Association. So you. Uh, where did this idea come from? Now, this can be a little controversial, but, you know, controversy is okay. So, People Conference was never designed to be an association. It was a market-driven business 
to bring capital providers, originators, lenders together for commerce. That was the sole purpose of PIPO Conference. We wanted to bring it from 30 people to 300 people to 600 people to 800 people. That was the growth of PIPO Conference. And so it never was designed to be a voice of anybody. It was designed simply to be the market maker and allow the market to do what it wanted wanted to do and go where it wanted to go. And it was my job just to steer it along to make sure that everybody was put to, you know, was, was, was all together on it and people were doing business. And about four years ago or so, I realized that there was a clear, a very clear void in the marketplace. There was another organization that uses the name association but they weren't an association and they know it and everybody knows it. They, they, they simply were not. And I'm not going to bring out any names or anything. That's up to you if you want to, but, but it was not an association. Anybody can use the word association in their name. And they did nothing from a legislative standpoint, from a code of ethics standpoint, from a best practices standpoint. It was just a word. And then I made the announcement that, that we were going to start the National Private Lending Association. And I'll tell you, it's kind, of, it's, it's kind of interesting. To my right is an orange chair in my office. And I had a gal who was with me for 16 years. And I said, I'm going to start the National Private Lenders Association. And we had a meeting that day about the PIPL conference. We had a, an event coming up and so forth. I'll, I'll, I'll never forget it. And she was writing notes and taking things down. And I said, I'm starting a National Private Lenders Association, blah, 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 and here's what it's going to do. And she looked up and says, oh, that's nice. Now, how many sponsors do we have for this event? This, like, totally didn't hear a word I said, or, I don't know, didn't believe that I was going to do it, or I, I don't know, because people know Leonard Rosen, when he says something, he's going to do it. And it's gonna and it's gonna be successful. I'll never forget that moment. And I won't say my wife was skeptical, but you know, she tell me more. How's this gonna work? How's it gonna function? And uh, you know, what's the price and so forth? And I said it's gonna be a hybrid type of association. It's not gonna be a nonprofit because that doesn't. Those two words are together are not in my vocabulary. Nonprofit. Or not-for-profit? What are you talking about? Yeah, what are you talking about? Right, doesn't compute. But I wanted to make it an exclusive organization, association for the major players by invitation only. And yes, I mean, we are out always looking for new members, but they have to go through a whole process to become a member. It's a whole big thing, and that. And that's something that evolved, and we'll get to that in a moment. I wanted to have a voice for the industry that I believe I created. And this other company that used the name association, which was a joke, in my opinion, was a joke. You can quote me on that. It was a joke. Then they started to realize, oh, Leonard's doing something. So then they kind of like make it look like they're an association. The reality is, is this. 
The National Private Lenders Association was designed to protect the industry from overzealous legislators that could affect our space. That was the number one reason that it was started. So if that's the case, if, if, if what I'm saying makes sense, then it would also make sense for us to be registered lobbyists, right? Which we are. We're registered lobbyists in New York and New Jersey and Texas and Florida, and I can go on and on. And in addition to that, we invest $10,000 a month, a month in professional lobbyists to represent the MPLA. So not only are we registered lobbyists, but we hire lobbyists on, uh, you know, on the outside to, to represent us. We don't do these stupid petitions, oh, save the industry, sign this petition, that nonsense. Because you know what happens with those petitions? Legislators get it. Oh, that's nice. 160 people are opposing. Okay, and what are we doing for lunch? We're going to Chipotle today, or what are we doing? This, the work is done behind the scenes. And so these petitions... They're marketing schemes to show their members that they're doing something. That's what that is. And, and so, the, you know, the true reality is, is that hard work is done. We changed the law in New York. Governor Cuomo signed the, the, the law to protect the lenders in New York because of the MPLA. That's a fact. That's not an opinion. That is a fact. We have relationships in the governor's office. Now Cuomo is out. There's no governor and so forth. But the lieutenant governor is, we've become friends. He was, he was a state legislator, and now we become friends, and we have financially supported him. And they're friends of the MPLA. That's how you get work done, not through a stupid online petition. So the MPLA is a true association designed to protect our members from overzealous regulators. That's how it started. Then, with the leadership of Jeff Tennyson of Lima One, we created the Ethics Committee. And then we created our Best Practices Committee. And we created our Legislative Committee and our membership committee. So each committee, well, you're, you're the head of the ethics committee. I am. Incredible honor. Uh, it's something I'm humbled about. And on the membership call a couple of weeks ago, you know, threw down the gauntlet a little bit of, you know, I, we had an incredibly active committee in 2021, right? We got the code of ethics approved, which is really kind of a guiding ethical light for this industry. And there is so much more to come and more to do around that. And, and there's fun competition between the committees. I, I wake up and I have three things on my mind, Leonard. I have Real Estate of Things podcast, Director of Sales and Customer Experience at Lima One Capital and Chairman of the Ethics Committee of the MPLA. And I want us on that committee, you know, we're, we're all a family on the MPLA, but that competitive drive of I want our committee to be the most highly productive committee of that organization. And I think I'm not alone in that on the committee leadership side. And you pointed to the New York legislation. Really quickly, it became apparent on my day job at Lima One, the importance of this organization, because it was 
in the beginning, when we first heard about the MPLA, and I know you and Jeff had talked about it a lot in the beginning, you know, how is this actually going to impact? And it didn't take long before kind of the group you assembled was already making things happen to really protect the the positive, fruitful interests of everybody in this space. Well, here, here's the thing that, I, that, that I've learned. I, I know where my strengths are and I know where my weaknesses are. And one of the strengths I have is the ability to bring in great talent who, know, who knows more than I do. I have no ego when it comes to that. John Hornick, Jeff Tennyson, Steve Lacassie, Eric Abramovich, you know, and the young guns that are coming up, you and Justin Fordham and, and Corey Nimoto with Kiko Capital. So, so I've been able to surround myself with people who have expertise in areas that perhaps I don't. And so they help guide me in, in my thought process. And like I say, without Lima One, without your efforts, as well as Jeff Tennyson's efforts, I don't think the ethics committee, I think the ethics committee would have been in existence, but it wouldn't have the force that it has, you know, today. And, you know, we've dealt with some, you know, some very uncomfortable scenarios with, you know, a couple of our members over this past year, and it's it was through the ethics committee and 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 the way we handled it that I think was just exemplary. So, you know, look, we have to police ourselves. We have to be the shining light, the the shining force in the marketplace. If we police ourselves and make sure that we do good business, make sure that we 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 conduct ourselves in a professional manner, treat our treat our trading partners well, as well as our customers and our employees and so forth. And we police that. I believe that that becomes the model for other associations and for other companies to do business in. And it raises the bar for everyone in the industry. Look, this is a great industry. It's a great business. And watching it grow is, is very exciting to me. And watching the new players come in. I'll tell you what really excites me. As I mentioned, you, for example, Corey Nimodo, uh, Justin Fordham, the young guns that are coming up. Look, I'm going to be 70 years old in March. How much longer am I going to do this? I don't know, but they'll have to shovel me out, you know, to, to get me out of here. But, you know, being realistic, being realistic, what we're doing now if you really think about it, the knowledge base that we're acquiring to pass down to the younger guys that are in their 30s and so forth, it gives them a model to use. We had no model all these years, right? There was no model to go by. So now as we pass it down and everyone gets a little bit older and you hand over the reins, and that's the part that excites me probably more than anything, because if you understand the history of our space and understand where it was and where it is now, the young folks that are coming up the ranks, they could say, OK, all right, what have we learned? 
over this era? What did we learn over that era? And where can we take it even further? That's what excites me. Yeah, it 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 rings a word rings in my head of legacy. I, I think in the in the pre interview call, you and I were chatting a little bit, and I, I shared with you. I don't think my network in this space would be a tenth of what it is today, if not for you, Pitbull, MPLA, that that ecosystem that you've created. So, so I am incredibly grateful for everything that you've built. Well, I do have a Venmo account. So if you'd like to make a contribution to that. And my birthday is coming up. I am accepting cash donations. But we can talk about that on, perhaps on the next podcast. <laughs> particulars, particulars. I'll, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll square that away. I'll take care of you. Uh, so real quick, I want to make sure anybody who's listening isn't familiar with Pitbull or MPLA. If you want to learn more about the Pitbull Conference, it's pitbullconference.com. Right, Leonard? Yep. But I'm not here to promote look, I'm not here to promote Pimple Conference or MPLA. We're just having a conversation and those are two businesses that are in my portfolio. But yes, pimpleconference.com and MPLAonline.com. Yeah, two two great organizations. Do you mind if we go off the beaten path here? A couple of quirky questions up my sleeve for you. Is this the greatest mouse pad ever? <laughs> I didn't pick one up last time. In March, I'm going to grab one. I can't think of any anything better than see your smiling face on my desk every morning. Or we can go a little more conservative route. I want to just tell you a quick funny story. At the last event, we had the FBI sit on our cybersecurity panel. And it was a really, I thought it was a great panel. That's what I thought anyways. And at the end, the FBI agent, came over and he said, and, you know, we had we had this at our booth. And he said, uh, do you mind if I take one? Because none of the agents back at the office <laughs> guaranteed will have anything like that. I said, Special Agent Light, be my guest, sir. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Got to mix up the old FBI field office vibe. <laughs> there you go. Now you, I, that, that may be an issue. Now they know what Leonard Rosen looks like. Uh, <laughs> I love it. So one thing that was immediately apparent to me the first time I saw you, yeah, you dress well, right? Yeah, whether it's casual, dress up, dress down, you always look very crisp and clean, which I greatly appreciate. I'm a fan of it. So putting you to the test here, what's your favorite piece of clothing? Is there is there like one thing that just fits perfectly? You love it? Like this is... This is 10 out of 10. If my whole, if, you know, if my closet burned down, this is the one thing I would go save. Well, you know, it's interesting that I had no idea we were going to go down this road. It's interesting because, well, first of all, thank you for the comment. And I um, understand that the event coming up is our 54th event. I buy either a new suit or new Sporco for every event. I have to literally take these custom-made suits and take them to Goodwill. That's just a thing. It's just a good luck thing, you know. But I never wear sport coats and I never wear suits in my daily life. I mean, I wear, you know, kind of Lululemon kind of stuff and so forth. So I would say I'll wear anything as long as I look better than John Hornick. <laughs> oh, man. I love it. He comes up to me. He comes up to me at every event. 
And he goes like this, and he feels the fabric. Ah, oh, no, I got you beat here. <laughs> I said, you, I said, you know what you're talking You're wearing baggy pants like an old man. I said, you have to, like, wear the, you know, the tighter pants. <laughs> I will say, I think I think Hornick is, uh, I think he stepped his game up the last few years. I was, I, <laughs> I think, like, two, maybe two years ago, there was an event I was like, ah, this, this Hornick looks different than the Hornick I remember. And then listen to John's credit. John lost like 25, 30 pounds and working out and playing golf. And now John looks great. I mean, John's one of those guys that he, he, he never had a bad word to say about a mirror or a microphone. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, if you're if you're competing with Mr. Mayor John Hornick in rarefied air, you're in a good America's spot. America's mayor, mayor of New Jersey, America's mayor. Love John; he's the best. Like, and quite honestly, that we're talking about John Hornick. John Hornick, he was on your on your podcast, was he not? I, you know, I maybe you could send me the link to that. I'd love to. I'd love to see. That. John is such a prince of a guy and made such a contribution to Pitbull's success. And, you know, he's also general counsel of uh, the MPLA. There isn't anything in the world I wouldn't do for John. But I did get a holiday gift from him, which was some cookies, which I thought was a little weak, to tell you the truth. He, he had sent these beautiful, I was it two or three years ago, these beautiful wine glasses. I said, oh, this, this is really nice. And they're all busted. They came, all the glasses were broken by the time wherever they shipped from to me. I'm still waiting for those to be replaced. But if if Hornick is watching this at some point, tell him the cookies were lovely. I will do that. I'll send Hornick the Rosen episode link and I'll send Rosen the Hornick episode link and we'll get everybody caught up on the relationship. <laughs> I love it. I got one more question, and I know you're a busy fellow. I'll let you get out of here after this. So I, I love to travel. Right? That's the biggest thing that killed me during COVID was was staying at home. No. Oh, absolutely horrible. We had uh, you know a whole docket of trips planned for the year and just canceling and all that converted into... And you were shelter in place in South Carolina, right? Yeah, we were not for a terribly long time, but but there were a couple of months where you went out to the grocery store, probably two full months of like grocery store, and that was it, in and out. Not as bad as other places, but it was a hit to the gut for sure. It became COVID became real for me whenever travel started to get canceled. That's what killed me. So, what's a destination that you've never been to? that's on the list if you could if you had time to check off one more vacation spot that you had never been to before any idea what that would be i had no idea we're going down this road my friends i know i'm i'm uh i'm shooting to you blind here okay i will tell you this i live three blocks from the ocean in la jolla california people come here to vacation so i never i i, I just don't feel that I have to go anywhere, but when I do, and understand also, I lived in Hawaii for 20 years, and so, you know, I've lived in some pretty exotic places. There's one place I go to every year that is so special. Now, you're asking me, where would you like to go that you haven't been? There's no place I would rather go to than the Grill Jamaica, and 
we were married there 25 years ago, but I've been going there for 35 years. And I get off the plane to Montego Bay, and everybody knows who I am. I feel very comfortable there. I'm kind of a Caribbean kind of a guy. I actually gave serious thought to actually buying a, uh, a resort out there a couple of years ago. And uh, matter of fact, the, the owner of the resort said, you know, I've owned this resort for 36 years. We've had six pirate attacks over those years, literally pirates that come from the, come from the ocean. Yeah, yeah. He said, yeah. He said, trust me, Leonard. He says, I'll sell it to you, but trust me, you don't want to buy it. And he just said, you know, just because of it's been in my family for all these years, that's just why I keep it. But, you know, but on the 29th, Hornick, Dash, Abramovich, we're, we're all going to Jamaica the day after the event to Jamaica for my 70th. So there's, a, there's about 16 of us that are going. But, uh, you know, Jamaica is a very, very special place. I'll tell you why I like it. I love the vibe. I love the food. I love the music. You can drink the water. I'm not a Mexico guy. I don't go to Mexico. I mean, Tijuana is 17 miles from where I live. I go the other direction. I'm not a Mexico guy. Maybe some people are. My brother is. But the Caribbean and the grilled Jamaica is one of the most. Do you remember the... That scene, the bar scene in Star Wars years ago, the first Star Wars, I don't even remember the different characters on the bar scene. You're too young for this. Was it when Han Solo walked in? Yeah, that's the real Jamaica. I have zero desire to go to Europe. I do think at some point we'll go to Israel because it's our homeland, and we'll probably do that. But I don't feel compelled to go anywhere other than Jamaica. That's beautiful. You find a place and it takes all the boxes. Just spend as much time there as you possibly can in this life. Yeah. It just, for us, it works, you know. I love it. Beautiful, beautiful. Leonard, I can't thank you enough, really, truly, for carving out time on this episode, but deeply appreciate everything you have done for me personally and professionally over the years. Uh, I I consider you a, a good friend and thank you for all you do. Well, Dalton, uh, this was my honor to be on your podcast. It has been fun. We went down a couple roads. I didn't know we were going to go down, and that's okay. That's kind of fun. That's cool. Look, it's guys like you that are in the marketplace that that will make a big difference, a much, much bigger difference than I've ever made. It's people like you that um, step up to the plate and uh, make it up, you know, make the space better. So I want to thank you. I really enjoyed this. And now I'm going to go out for Chipotle or something like that and take my wife out to lunch. Beautiful. We will not delay you any further. Leonard, thanks for joining and thanks to everybody for listening. Take care. Are you a real estate investor looking for the right lender that can finance all your deals and help you scale? Lima One Capital has the best suite of loan products in the industry, bar none. Whether that's fix and flips, fix and holds, building new construction, or buying rental properties, they have incredible financing solutions for it all. A reliable, common-sense lender is one of the most important parts of your investment team, and that's exactly what you get with Lima One. Let Lima One Capital show you how they've helped thousands of real estate investors scale and increase their wealth. 
Check out LimaOne.com or call 800-259-0595 to speak with a consultant in preparation for your next project. Thank you for joining us today on the Real Estate of Things podcast. Subscribe and tune in weekly for new content from the industry's best while we continue to unpack the nuances of this dynamic market. Follow us across social media for additional insights and analysis on the topics covered in each episode. And remember to rate, review, and share the show.